Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Rogers. And I continue to greet each of us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. It's indeed a joy and an honor to be here on this very critical day as we commemorate and remember uh, what happened 20 years ago. Uh, It was interesting this morning on the BBC, it was actually mentioned, uh, an article has been placed on the BBC website actually discussing not what we're doing here, but challenging people of what transpired 20 years ago. Uh, And we praise God that the story is being told. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Julius, for laying a very good foundation uh, for us, really the place of scripture and our call uh, to discernment uh, as a church today. Uh, Dr. Paddy Musana, thank you so much uh, for reminding us of our responsibility today as a nation. Uh, today as a church, indeed, we cannot stick our heads in the sand. We have to respond. And for Robbie, uh, thank you so much uh, for challenging us on the place of the church today. Uh, The Anglican Church is close to 32% uh, of the people in this country, and indeed they set a pace. And for using that as a case study uh, is helpful. My name is Kilama Uh, Dennis. I come to you from Africa, a renewal university, and a few students uh, that are here from there. My task this afternoon is to really get us thinking, and already what I'm going to say, part of it has been uh, shared from the different reflections Dr. Julius gave, uh, Dr. Paddy gave, and Robbie Muhumuza gave. Uh, and the big question is, what can the church do? Moving forward. Moving forward. Having had the history, having had what happened in the past, having had our responsibility and the place of the church of Uganda. What can the church today do if we are actually going to move forward. Now, as I begin, I'll state that there has always been false teaching. It has always been there. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, we are reminded, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Scripture reminds us there were past tense and there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce distinctive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So as we think of a way forward, it is helpful that we begin here. We begin from a posture that they have actually always been there. They have been there past, they are there present, and they are going to be there future. And all through history, particularly the history of the church in Uganda, there has been false teachers, there has been cults, there's been this uh, that has been referred to as new religious movements. And I took off time to look at some of these. In the early 1920s and probably late 1910s, Joshua Kett 
and Malachi, Musajakawa, broke off from the Anglican church and they formed the society that they referred to as the society of the one almighty God. And they rejected everything that was medicinal. And they were referred to as the Bamalachi. Not only did they reject medicine, they actually also refused education as a requirement for baptism. In the same era, in the 1920s, Semeika Kunguru, who was initially at some point uh, an offshoot of this group very far in eastern Uganda, in Mbale, began a group and he referred to them as the Vayudaya. And some of these were actually established on principles of the Bamalachi, adopting extreme Judaism as they read the Luganda Old Testament. They practiced circumcision, practiced the Sabbath, and were known actually as the African Jews in a way. They were Judaia. Fast forward in the 1970s, someone came into this nation and he gathered a group of people around Clock Tower. He went by the names of Obiri Yeboah. And kind of set a tone for what was to be the prosperity gospel. In the 80s, one lady led a movement. She came out of the Roman Catholic Church. She led a movement that was referred to as the Holy Spirit Movement. She claimed that she was led of the Holy Spirit. And she brought special messages. Messages of deliverance. And so she began this war where she asked people to smear this particular cooking oil. To help them become bulletproof. And they were followers. Not long thereafter, Joseph Kony, who actually has roots in the Roman Catholic Church, seeks to restore again some sort of Ten Commandments, calling the church back to holiness. And for 22 years, he fought, claiming he was fighting from the scriptures. In 1996, Navasa Gwadja, a 19-year-old girl in Zimbabwe, claimed that she had died. And four days after, not three, four days after, <laughs> she resurrected. And like we had the characteristics, her followers feared that some mysterious evil eye was always looking at them and listening to them. 19-year-old had close to 1,000 followers in Zimbabwe. In the late 1990s, one Wilson Bushara, who ordered people to sell all their property and to prepare for Jesus' coming in June. In the area of Luero, he led many. They sold their cows, left their wives, and joined him. And as we gather today, on the 17th of March, 2000, Joseph Kibwetere committed the atrocity that we gather to remember. Several others have come and they have gone. This is it. There has always been false teachers and they will be there. And they are there. So what is our response moving forward? Moving forward. This should be a little bit faster. Thank you. Our response, and I'll probably talk about three or four things. Number one, our response to cults should be based on research. And this research is to generate knowledge. And this knowledge is to inform, one, our message. Two, our method. It is to help us articulate what is false 
It includes describing the error. This is to avoid generally describing something as false, but never articulating what is exactly wrong about it. And all over people, not so long ago on this campus, there was a movement that rose up. And people began, everyone began to point, it is wrong, it is wrong, it is wrong. And when the owners asked, what is wrong? Everyone looked at themselves. It helps us to articulate what is wrong. Two, it helps us to put false teachers onto the test. First John chapter 4 verse 1 reminds us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits. This is to recognize false teaching. And Akfa has done an excellent job in producing material that is actually to help us in this regard. Diagnizing them. You're placing them like a medical doctor who has received a patient. He's going to ask all these questions with an attempt to actually diagnose and find out what is the temperature like? What is, what is, what, what are they feeling like? Is it the head? Is it the feet? Diagnizing them. We observe character. We observe tactics. We observe motivation. We subject them to a Bible test. We subject them to a Jesus test. We subject them to a money test. We subject them to a morality test. And we subject them to a fruit test. To help us put them to the test, we ought to do research. And so as I think about Uganda, and think about our context here, we should move a little bit forward next. If we are to do research, about three areas stand out for me. Number one for me is the nature of the population dynamics in Uganda. If we are going to respond, today as we speak in 2014, the Uganda Bureau of Statistics did a research, the population census, and came out very conclusively that this nation of Uganda is 84.9% Christian. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The implication is that out of every ten people, eight are going to claim to be Christian. So I ask myself, what is Christian in Uganda? What does it actually mean? This is unclear with everyone claiming to be a Christian. You go on the streets right now and you ask someone, are you a Christian? Immediately they will say, I am. And as I think moving forward, for us to actually clearly define what does it actually mean to be a Christian. And if anything, begin to inform those that gather the information. The nature of the population, predominantly Christian. But is it really Christian? Two, looking at our population, with over 77% of Ugandans below the age of 30, I ask, who is shaping this generation? I ask, who are they listening to? Where are they finding the satisfaction that Dr. Paddy Musana talked about? As you have heard, these are the biggest victims of the new religious movement in Uganda. As they search for satisfaction, if we are going to as much as possible engage, we ought to see the young people not as a challenge, but as an opportunity. An opportunity for discipleship. As I think about research, I think about the discrepancy of the population in Uganda. Many Ugandans are considered literate. In fact, if you read the figures, they will tell you 70.2% UNESCO says 70.2% of the people in Uganda are actually literate. 
But you ask yourself, how many of them would be able to read the pages on this book? Many would actually struggle. Many would struggle to make sense of this. And as I think of a way forward for us is to actually begin raising questions, the place of using the local language as a language of instruction. Look at all these movements. Probably eight out of ten of them are using the local language. And ten out of ten of the material that is being used to contend for the faith is in the English. So how do we engage using the local language? As I think about our population, most of us that are here possibly could identify as people that live in the urban. Majority of the people in this country live in the rural. In fact, some figures would place it at close to 80%. This implies that majority are in the rural and efforts need to be designed to engage the people in the rural. Majority of these cults are mushrooming in the rural. You're here in Kanungu, you're here in Luero, you're here in Sembabule, somewhere in Chibari. They have networks, they are wired in Kampala, but they are based elsewhere. And they are gathering masses. We ask in regards to the discrepancy. We ask, there are more women in Christian gatherings. Both sound biblical teaching and false teaching. And so we ask ourselves, why are women in Uganda more likely to join religious cults than their male counterparts? Is it only me observing that? How do we actually engage the women in such a way that they are actually discerning? As we think about research, probably move on a bit. As we think about research, the place of mass media and information technology. This era here of mass media and IT information technology has catalyzed the spread of different movements in Uganda. I was reading somewhere, today in Uganda there are close to 253 radio stations. Now, of those 253, they all have listeners. And this has happened in probably the last 20 or so years. They have literally transformed the landscape. Each of these movements is on radio. Each of them is actually on TV. People are beginning to use telephones. Majority of the people in Uganda are using telephones. Daily Monitor in May last year quoted that 23.2 million Ugandans are using phones. And this is actually a tool that is being used to pass on doctrine. To pass on teaching, to reach many. One that has turned tables upside down is social media. Today we have Facebook apostles. We have Facebook prophets. Their area of operation is on Facebook and they have followers in their thousands. You ask where are you located, you find me online. <laughs> they are shaping hearts, they are shaping minds. They are shaping hearts and minds. Majority of the people in Uganda that are on social media are actually between 18 and 24 years. And they are using the internet regularly. So moving forward as our response, we ask how are we engaging social media in a generation that is hungry for information? 
You've heard already of the coronavirus and how a lot of information, in fact, somebody has, a journal was reading somewhere, was referred to this as an infodemic. It is not just a pandemic, but it is an infodemic. It is, it is a pandemic of information. The mass media, it is shaping hearts. So our message, our method of responding to cults should be informed by research. Should be informed by research. Moving forward, secondly, our response to cults should empower us through training. Our response should be one that actually empowers through training. Training is an essential aspect. I know uh, Robin Mahomes has placed it very well. Not the, but a very crucial aspect of our response to cults. As training forms us, but also transforms. Training helps us, first of all, unlearn certain things. And thereafter, learn afresh. Training so as to guard from falsehood. In Acts chapter 20, we are reminded, take heed unto yourselves. And to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Training to guard from falsehood those that are under our care. Training that is to help us refute the wrong teaching. This is for those that have gained a foothold in Christianity. And this is a trend that we see in this country. Those that have gained a trend that begin on the right track and begin to actually divert one by one, one by one. Training that gives us confidence to call out the false teachers by name. To call them out by name. We must identify and publicly expose those living or teaching such ideas. Training enables us to identify those teaching error. And as I think about training, I ask myself, what's the nature of theological training in Uganda? The last 12 years I've been involved in theological training. And as I see the landscape, there are several questions that I ask. Today, as we speak, there are several theological schools in Uganda. Now, if you went to the National Council of Higher Education uh, website, as we speak, as of yesterday, there were 28 accredited programs of theology in Uganda. Just theology, 28 of them. And these are being offered in 15 institutions. This is right through from PhD to diploma. Now, as I look at these 28, at least I've read in detail four of these. I ask myself, what is the content that is being trained? What is the content? I ask myself, surely, do we need more theology programs? I ask is apologetics being addressed? As I look through the nature of theological training, the debate between formal and informal, the formal and non-formal, most training in Uganda is informal. Most people's theology has been formed through song, it has been formed through conversations, through social media, it has been formed on the road as you walk. And a few schools of ministries and churches that have established schools of training. And so we ask ourselves, how do we actually take advantage of the informal? 
How do we take advantage of that and turn that around as an opportunity? As I think about training, there is need for training that corrects the past errors to avoid repeating them in the present. And for me, one that sticks out is training that actually calls us to include literature on apologetics. Today we gather to remember close to 700 people who were massacred. There is very little documentation. The book that we are shown was written in 2000. And over the years, if you are to count, there has been several movements that have come. Several movements that have come. And we ask ourselves, who is documenting this? Students all over these 28, these 15 seminaries are writing dissertations. Right through from PhD to diploma. And we ask, where is that material going? The place of the pulpit ministry in refuting error. As we've heard earlier on this morning, the Bible is our stand. And the Bible is essential in equipping the congregations. Today what has happened is that we have the Bible and several other sources that are to help us explain the Bible. Thinking about training to correct the past error, I want to believe an initiative such as this. There is need to intentionally commemorate significant days in the history of Uganda's church history. Today there are only two days. And three quarters of us may not actually remember what happened on February 16th. So let me ask, what happened February 16th? Some of you are saying, ah, the holiday, the public holiday this time, really. The public holiday, Kuruno, Yatusara. No. So we have Janan Wum, and then June 3rd. But can we, as a church, establish a calendar unique to Christian history? And this is covering significant deaths, right through thinking about the inception of Christianity coming, as the missionaries were right coming through, for us to tell the story. In Deuteronomy, they are reminded to tell the story. Where do we tell the story? And so Akfa, taking lead of reminding us of what happened on March 17th, is a challenge. Last year, on this very date, there was no newspaper, no radio station, no TV station that actually mentioned. And everyone else had forgotten about Kanungu. And Akfa is reminding us of this cause. Could we set up a calendar that covers significant deaths to remind us of how the faith came in here, to remind us of the first ordinations, to remind us of the first baptisms, to remind us to tell the story of the gospel in this nation? As I think about training, very particularly one thing that has come through, I think there's need for clarity in defining the relationship between the church and the state. Now, I ask, is, this, is the church above the state? I ask, is the church below the state? I ask, is the state above the church? And I hear mamas. <laughs> is the church separate from the state? This is an area that is extremely critical. Are we going to run to the state to define for us what to train in theological school? Like you heard, Chibwetere was registered by every government agency. 
he was recognized by each of them. The conditions were really ripe for him to operate. And we ask ourselves, what then would be the role of the police? What would be the role of the judiciary in safeguarding doctrine? I think this is an area we owe to dialogue. And in certain areas, we have seen a very unholy marriage. I call it unholy because it is between the state and the church. And the state seeking to actually as much as possible find ways to regulate doctrine and matters of faith. This is an area that is grey, that needs clarity. The third area that I think about, our response to cults should be one that holistically transforms the individual and the community. As I look at all these cults and all these movements, with many people in this nation wallowing in poverty, wallowing in diseases such as HIV AIDS, many have been driven. They have been driven to submit to these false teachers with an aim of meeting their felt needs. And as much as possible, we should do everything to silence the false teacher. Titus 1 verse 10 to 11 tells us, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped. Our mission has to be more discerning. As we think missiologically and think of how we are going to engage in regards to mission, one area that is critical is a definition of terminology that is used in evangelism. Someone could come and be talking to you about the Holy Spirit. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is different from the Holy Ghost. And you should ban that one that has the Holy Ghost. He's thinking in three paradigms. He's thinking Mizimu, Misambwa, and Mayembe. <laughs> you are all talking of the Holy Spirit and you're lifting up your hands to Him. Could we define the terminologies that we are actually using? They could be referring to God. But there's one we've had who fell sick in Chibari. And he was admitted in the hospital. Is it the same God? They talk of salvation. And the Kanungu, quote-unquote, salvation on 17th of March, was actually being defined as death. There's need for us to address this whole dualistic, syncretic mind. This is a mixture of ritualistic African traditional practices with Christianity. You are not sure how far what has actually gone. This is largely in regards to power encounters, things to do with spirits and evil spirits. If I want to intimidate you right now, I'll say close your eyes. And I'll begin to tell you there's something behind you, behind you that is following you. And you'll begin to look for it. So on one hand, people proclaim the Bible as a final authority. But yet on the other hand, they continue to actually practice. That children are being brought to church for baptism or dedication, and on their waist, there's something tied to protect them. That someone calls you to dedicate the house, and in the corner, there's something to make sure that it captures every quote-unquote evil network. So the question of power encounters, a wrong distinction, this again much further, more so in the urban, the wrong distinction between secular and sacred. You say, I go to work, that is secular. When I'm in church, I'm in the spirit. And so we live this double standard life. 
There's need for contextualization. Now we have two extremes. One extreme believes that African culture is completely evil and wrong. So you actually baptize your children. And you call them John the Baptist Paul. (laughs) Because you don't want any association with the African culture. You say, no, 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 I don't want to get them attached. Then on the other hand, you consider it completely good. And identify one spirit that was the most powerful. And think of one. And you baptize it your child. Need for contextualization. How far is far? What of traditional culture can we pick? What can we drop out? Moving forward, thinking about postmodernity, mostly in the urban areas. Today as we speak, there's a group that is self-proclaimed atheists that meet weekly. And they're meeting to discuss. And so we ask ourselves, how are we actually going to respond? The theology and the apologetics that came much earlier kind of pointed to beginning from systematic theology, theology proper, does God exist? These ones are saying he doesn't. And you have been brought up with the mind that God exists, that you don't even question. It is, you've been told it is bad manners to ask that question. <laughs> now someone shows up and he says, no, God does not exist. As I think about our response being holistic, I believe that the local church has a role to address the felt needs of the people. Address the needs of the people. We can teach the truth. We can defend the truth, but if people are hungry, if people are sick, that is going to shape their response. Naturally, people are going to follow where their stomachs move towards. Gravitate naturally. If there's food, chances are high that there will be more. This is a call for ministry, both in word and in deed. In word, as we proclaim the truth, indeed in taking care of those that I need. This is responding to the injustices that we see. And I ask myself, in Uganda, with the growing challenge of domestic violence, what are we going to do? Uganda police in 2016 reported that there was probably 38,000 to 40,000 cases of domestic violence. This is a country that is 84.9% Christian. Now, we ask ourselves, what are we actually going to do in this regard? What are we going to do in regards to the challenge of poverty? Many people are moving into false teaching partly because of poverty. You know, the Demographic Health Survey in 2016 noted that the proportion of those living under national poverty actually rose from 20 to 21%. Those in poverty are actually increasing. Challenges such as undernutrition. Many, many more Ugandans are actually undernourished. Uganda ranks probably one of the top 20 most malnourished countries below five. And as a church, what are we going to do? The plight of refugees. I think about the 1.35 refugees who are coming to us. Coming to us from South Sudan, coming to us from DRC, coming to us from Somalia, over 40,000 in Kisenyi here. I ask, what are we actually going to do? What are we going to do for the urban slums? So responding to people's needs. As I think about that holistically, I ask, we have to operate. And for me, it is to operate as a consortium. A consortium of like-minded entities. How do we engage across denominations? 
and yet still uphold truth. How do we engage across denominations? And we've had all the movements, EFU, NAFBAC, BAFE, uh, and ETC. How do we engage across them? I believe that unity is important, but yet not at the expense of truth. Unity is important, and I affirm it, but not at the expense of truth. So as I think about our way forward, if we are to never again see the reincarnation of the Kanungu massacre, we have to answer these questions. Over the last 143 years of the existence of Christianity in Uganda, there has been noticeable cults and false teaching. What has been in the past could easily be now and could be in the future. What happened on 17th March could happen today and could happen in the future. Each generation has had a role to defend, to rebuke false teaching. And I believe that through research, through training and engaging the entire community, we can bring change. When we were beginning this morning, we sang a song that was a revival hymn. And every evening they gathered together. They proclaimed of the greatness of God. And one of the men that was right at the forefront of this East African revival that begins right through probably 1926, 1929, into the 30s and 40s. During the East African revival, one man that had actually moved into Rwanda, Blasio Kigozi, that was right at the forefront of this revival, dies on his way as he's bringing a letter to address the clergy in this nation. He asked three questions. For me, three questions that remain for us to answer, thinking of a way forward. These are questions that were asked more than 90 years ago. And Blasio Kigozi asks, number one, what is the cause of coldness and deadness in the church? As he looked at the church, he asked himself, what is responsible for the coldness that I see? That question is still relevant to us. I asked myself, and he asked, what can be done to reach nominal Christians in the church? What can be done to reach the 84.9? Right now, within the church, the church itself is a missions field. What can we do to reach them? Number three, what can be done to bring revival in missions in the church of this nation? If we are never again to see a reincarnation of the Kanungu massacre, we have to answer these three questions. May the Lord help us. Learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. Visit us at africanapologetics.org.